BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Thursday was a very eventful and encouraging day as it relates to the status of Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin. This is the statement that the Bills issued 1028 a.m. Eastern per the physicians caring for DeMar Hamlin at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. DeMar has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal and he is making steady progress. We are grateful for the love and support we have received and that was just the first clear indication of what a good day it was going to be as it relates to the news as to the status of damar hamlin it's a friday edition of pft live presented by google pixel learn more at googlestore.com he's peter king i'm mike florio peter a lot has happened in the three days since you and i last met and discussed the DeMar Hamlin situation. It feels like three months or maybe three years, but a crazy week is coming to a conclusion capped by some very good news about the status of DeMar Hamlin. I think, Mike, all along, I as I recorded my podcast this week with Mike Ryan, who's NBC's uh, NBC Sports medical specialist, And as I recorded that, one of the things he said really stuck with me when I listened to the doctors. And he talked about how the speed uh, with which the Buffalo sidelines got to DeMar Hamlin, really, and and obviously the incredible skill that they used on DeMar Hamlin right away made all the difference in the world. Because, Mike, you know that DeMar Hamlin is an elite athlete. Everyone on that field is an elite athlete. And so they're obviously going to be prone to be able to recover from from most injuries fairly quickly. 
most injuries are not the stopping of one's heart. And so to see that CPR was done quickly, to see it was done efficiently, to see that he was getting oxygen right away, and to see, you know, there was one other sign, and this surfaced yesterday, that the ambulance actually paused while it waited, uh, you know, before rushing to the level one trauma center, the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. The ambulance actually paused. And that is, according to experts, to stabilize the patient, to make him well. Because in essence, you know, the back of, a, of an ambulance is, it, and I know this is a terrible way to put it, it's a poor man's emergency room. And so at that moment, there was value in pausing this, making sure they have everything right. Because look, even though it's a short ride to the, uh, to the uh, uh, hospital, clearly things can happen on that short ride to the hospital. And you're on bumpy roads and all that. So they got him stabilized. And look, Mike, without any question, you know, the MVPs of this are the uh, medical officials on the field and the fact that they were able to stabilize DeMar Hamlin, get his heart going. And look, the last thing that Mike Ryan left me with, when I asked him, and we, I kind of talked to him off the air and on the air, and I asked him off the air, should we be concerned at all that it's a couple of days and you really haven't heard very much you know, from, you know, yet. And he goes, no, because the body has been through an incredible trauma. And you know what the body needs now? To rest, to be sedated, to allow this body to simply try to recover. And everything that Mike Ryan said was turned out to be absolutely true. And that is why I think we got such good news. The initial... Uh, prognosis on the field, or diagnosis, excuse me, and then the medical action of experts on the field going all the way to the hospital. I think, um, you know, it's ironic. I talked to Calais Campbell yesterday, the former, former NFL man of the year, and I always call him when it's events like this or when there's serious events around the league, and I asked him what he thought. And he and I were talking about how Man, if you ever want to get hurt, if you ever have a medical crisis, it's not bad to have one on a football field because there's 30 medical experts at every NFL game, at least, you know, including EMTs and everything else. So, you know, just thank goodness that DeMar Hamlin uh, is starting to recover now. We welcome in. The folks enjoying the program on Peacock, Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports NFL, where we are still live on Fridays and also listening via podcast. It is a day that has a celebratory feel to it based upon what we learned yesterday. There was a press conference with two of the doctors who have been providing care to DeMar Hamlin, and it went on for a solid hour. And it got better and better. Peter, it was so uplifting and inspirational to hear the various things that came from these two gentlemen. I almost wanted to go back and watch it again. It made me feel better after these 72 hours of a collective trauma that anyone who was paying attention to that game on Monday night, and there were undoubtedly millions, probably more than 25 million. I haven't seen the numbers from Monday night. I don't know that they've been published, 
but it was the biggest regular season game of the year, the most significant, the most eventful as the season was coming to a conclusion. We all witnessed it. We all were troubled by it. And yesterday was a day to finally exhale after holding our breaths during this period of time that you referred to that Mike Ryan talked about for the body to heal because we just didn't know. We found out a lot yesterday, courtesy of Dr. Timothy Pritz and Dr. William Knight. Here is some of that press conference during which they gave us very detailed updates about the status of DeMar Hamlin. We would like to share that there has been substantial improvement in his condition over the past 24 hours. As of this morning, uh, he is beginning uh, to awaken, uh, and it appears that his neurological uh, condition and function is intact. It's been uh, a long and difficult road for the last three days. Um, He has been uh, very sick and and has made a a fairly remarkable recovery and improvement to the point, as as Tim noted, um, he he is now uh, demonstrating that sign of of good neurologic recovery, as well as overall clinical improvement, as, as has been previously reported related to not just his vital signs, but a lot of his other uh, individual organ recovery. The Bills training staff who was with him immediately recognized that this was not a run-of-the-mill injury and that they they had a significant event on their hands and immediately responded and uh, uh, got the emergency response team uh, involved in his care. And really, this was went as well as something like this could go uh, under very challenging circumstances. Last night, he was able to um, emerge and uh, follow commands uh, and even ask uh, who had won the game. The Mars family is, is wonderful. They've been right here. They've been, they've been great throughout the entire stay. And so have we felt it? Yeah, it doesn't take long to look outside and see the lights, the blue and the red around the city of Cincinnati, the support from local restaurants, the support from the, the fans and just, and just people who are concerned. So, yes, it's been very powerful. It really has been amazing how an event like this has brought folks together and pierced through the years of dysfunction that we've all felt as a nation and brought people together. And there's nothing like an event like this, as bad as it is, as as worrying and as troubling as it's been. The one big positive is it's brought people together in a way that we have a shared concern for DeMar Hamlin, his family and everyone affected by this. And Peter, the moment that got me yesterday The idea that when he emerged from the sedation, unable to speak because he still has external breathing assistance because of the damage to his lungs, but he's able to write. And the first thing he wrote was, did we win? I'm telling and I've heard from other people who had this same reaction. It is the real life equivalent to the moment in Rocky two when Adrian comes out of her coma and tells Rocky (laughs) win. It just felt like I wanted to go run into the nearest wall once I saw that because it told us he's there. When he wakes up after all of that, if the first thought is, did we win? That tells me DeMar Hamlin is neurologically intact, is going to get back to normal. It doesn't matter whether he plays football again. What matters is, will he have a normal life on or off the field? And that told me it sure looks like he will. Well, you know, Mike, when I uh, when I heard that yesterday and when I saw the other things that the doctor said about him, you know, did we win? Yes. And the doctor said, yeah, you won in the game of life. I, 
I, I, I mean, this is bizarre. I'm a person of a certain age. I'm 65 years old. And the first thing I thought of was Brian's song. And I thought to myself that, you know what the DeMar Hamlin story is going to be one day and probably one day soon, if the, the current trajectory continues, it's going to be this generation's Brian's song. And for those who don't know what Brian's song is, it was a, a 1971 movie about a Chicago Bears player named Brian Piccolo, whose best friend on the team happened to be Gail Sayers, one of the great running backs of all time. Brian Piccolo was a running back. And Brian Piccolo uh, contracted cancer, and he ended up dying. And his attitude and his positivity have stuck with those or stuck with those around him for years and decades. And it became a movie and it inspired the country. Everybody was talking about it. There was a middle school in Queens, you know, at 900 miles away from where Brian Piccolo played football that was named after Brian Piccolo after that movie came out. And I honestly think that, you know, let's see, we're very early in this story, but this is going to be a story for a generation to tell. Oh, and I agree with you completely. And the fact that we have good news, really, it it just, it, it lifts the cloud off of so many of us who have been paying attention to it. And it is quite a story to tell. And as you said earlier, as Calais Campbell mentioned to you, if you're going to have a serious health event, the place to have it is in an NFL stadium on an NFL field because of the the level of care that is available to immediately mobilize, recognize the problem, even if it's a problem that rarely happens, that has almost never happened at any NFL game ever. Chuck Hughes' situation has been, been mentioned 25 years. several times this week. But that, that was 71. It's been 52 years uh, since Chuck Hughes that, that there's been something like this where now there have been serious head and neck injuries, but those are the things that we've come to expect. As horrible as they are, they're more normal, if there's anything normal about an injury like that, to the game of football because that's what we're conditioned to be worried about. We're not conditioned to be worried about somebody having cardiac arrest. So the fact that we do have good news about DeMar Hamlin really has been the brightest part of a very dark week. The doctors did say yesterday, Peter, too early to say whether or not DeMar Hamlin can return and play football, and that really is immaterial. And wouldn't it be amazing if he could? That That is icing on top of the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake if he's able to ever play football again. I just want this young man, 24 years old, to have a normal life. I want him to be able to administer the millions of dollars that have been donated to his toy drive. I want him to, to live like everyone else does, a normal day in and day out life. And it seems like that's what's going to happen. So it really was a great, great day. After 72 hours of uncertainty to know that, that it looks like he's going to be okay. And there's still a lot that needs to happen. But so far, so good. And it's really good based upon what we heard yesterday. We also heard from Sean McDermott, the Bills head coach, for the first time since Monday night's game. Here is McDermott talking about the support that has emerged nationwide, along with those millions of dollars that have been donated by 
hundreds of thousands of people to DeMar Hamlin's toy drive? I'm not a big social media person. Uh, Josh did, did share something with me uh, via text that he saw today, earlier today, and, um, and I looked at it, and it was, um, maybe you've seen it, it's about what maybe DeMar's mom is going to share with him when he, <clears throat> when he wakes up. And um, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's amazing to, to know the impact that this has had on um, so many of so many people and for now DeMar to be awake and <clears throat> his mom to be able to share that with him is it's incredible powerful words from Sean McDermott the man really at the center of this the coach who told Zach Taylor, the Bengals coach, in the immediate aftermath of the moment, I can't stay here and coach this game. I have to go to the hospital with DeMar Hamlin. There's the toy drive at $7.7 million and still going up and up and up. Peter, the Bills have been through a lot this year. They've been through a lot. And even if they hadn't been through anything, what they've been through the last three days is something no NFL team in this modern era with this much focus and this much attention on the sport have ever experienced. I I mean, look, you know, from having, and look, it, this totally pales in comparison, obviously, you know, losing their home game and have to, having to play the Cleveland Browns in Detroit, but everything about their season, especially the back half of it has just been a little weird. Um, from on that weekend, having to, you know, recruit people to go plow Josh Allen's quarter mile driveway, um, you know, so that he could get to the team bus to get to go play the Cleveland Browns. And I, I, there's just been so many things The you know, you go back, um, you know, into the spring where there was the shooting uh, at the Topps grocery store in Buffalo, uh, where 10 people were gunned down. Uh, there are just so many things that have happened to this city that, you know, I saw one of the local news anchors in Buffalo say something to the effect of, this, DeMar Hamlin, this is too much. It's too much for us to bear. We, we, you know, we need some good news here. And that's one of the reasons why um, you know, why this really occurred to me about how wonderful this was. You know, a friend of mine in Buffalo uh, sent me a photo on uh, Tuesday night, or I think Wednesday night, Wednesday night. And the photo basically was of a home in a neighborhood in Buffalo that had been lit up in Bill's colors and had a gigantic Pray for Damar sign on the front. I mean, somebody had gone to the effort to spend hours and hours of making this display. That's what, you know, as Brandon Bean has said on many occasions, 
You know, unless you live here, unless you're from here, unless you know here, uh, Buffalo, you really can't understand. It's like it's like no other place. It just is. And uh, it's been so touching how so many people have gotten involved. And you saw the emotion that Sean McDermott displayed just talking about that toy drive. I talked to one of his very good friends yesterday, uh, DeMar Hamlin's very good friends, going back to Central Catholic High School in Pittsburgh. His name is Rodney Thomas II. He plays for the Indianapolis Colts. And just like uh, DeMar, he is a defensive back. Came in one year after DeMar. DeMar was his mentor at Central Catholic. And, you know, he went on to even advise him about his college choice. And, and so he, and he rushed to the hospital on Tuesday morning uh, from Indianapolis to be with DeMar. He said he was in his room for about 13 hours and with his family. And he said it was just one of those things he had to be there. But the point I wanted to make about Rodney Thomas is that he said that if you knew DeMar, I said to him, Rodney, Tom Brady gave $10,000 to DeMar Hamlin's toy drive. And he goes, it's unbelievable. But he said, it isn't unbelievable if you know DeMar Hamlin and how unselfish he is and what an incredible person he is. And he said, when I was getting ready to go to college, it was like, it was, it was in part his decision too. He was so intent on me making the right decision. And, and so over and over again, you've heard these stories all week that one of the reasons that, you know, you saw that the New York Post on Wednesday morning had, a, had on its back page a player from the Buffalo Bills with the banner headline, America's Son. And that's really, DeMar Hamlin, without saying anything or doing anything, but by laying in a hospital bed, has gotten so many people in America to be gigantic DeMar Hamlin fans. And I just think that's a, it's just a beautiful thing that you're right, Mike. We don't come together for anything in this country. We came together for DeMar Hamlin. And that toy drive with the initial goal of $2,500... <laughs> I smile every time I see that 2500 and then look at the number where it is. Peter, I've said this a few times this week. It reminds me of the final scene of It's a Wonderful Life, where they all show up. $8,000 is all George Bailey needed. And I don't know how many ended up with. There's a scene where the guy's there with the old school machine counting it all up. There's so much there by the time it's all said and done. It's, it, that's how uplifting it is, that we are capable of coming together. Now, there are plenty of signs and signals still around us all the time that in many ways we aren't, but this is one way that we are. And let's all choose to embrace that for a little while as a reminder that we're all the same at our core and that we all have the same values and beliefs deep down and we all are capable of being moved to significant emotion and acting based upon that emotion. And here's another angle, Peter. Yesterday, Chris Sims and I were talking about how no matter what happens with DeMar Hamlin, this incident, and even if it wasn't Commodio Cordis that caused his cardiac arrest, they don't know yet 
what caused his cardiac arrest. But experts have said in the event of a sudden blow to the chest, cardiac arrest can happen. And I had been aware of that for years because it's one of the concerns in youth baseball. You get hit in the chest by a line drive, pitcher, third baseman, anyone on the field, you get hit hard enough, you go into sudden cardiac arrest, nobody knows what happens, and the child dies before anybody's even realized what's gone on. This will save lives. People will be aware of this now. People hopefully will go get trained in CPR. And one of the things that was very encouraging, it didn't get a lot of fanfare. It happened last night. Gail Benson, the owner of the New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Pelicans, funding 67 AEDs to be deployed all throughout their area. Recreational complexes, baseball, football. So that if something like this happens, when it happens, because it has happened, this isn't unprecedented. It's rare, but it happens. Well, maybe the kid who takes a blow to the chest in a youth sporting event and falls to the ground. Maybe the DeMar Hamlin situation will save that person's life. And maybe there, you know, a lot of times when something happens and it makes us sensitive to a thing and it, there isn't a clear line back. I think at some point in the not too distant future, we're going to hear a story about somebody who was revived and somebody who was saved. And right. part of the story is going to be, I'm aware of this because of what happened to DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills. Absolutely. And I thought that gesture by Gail Benson was absolutely awesome. I don't know what I'm going to do in my column about that on Monday, but it's going to have a place in my column. That is one of the nicest gestures, as well as the entire NFL community. Honestly, Mike, you've seen, you know, scores, scores of people and teams donating to DeMar Hamlin, but you're absolutely right. I'm really glad you brought that up. I I, I didn't know uh, whether we would do much on that today or not, but look, there's so much to talk about and so much in the news about this and about what the NFL is doing. We shouldn't forget when people like Gail Benson do something for the common good that really means something to a large swath of people who someone, you're absolutely right, someone someday is going to be positively affected. You know, I heard one, uh, one doctor talk about what happens at NFL stadiums with all of the medical personnel uh, at medical stadiums. I mean, Mike, there's so many medical people at stadiums, and it includes an emergency intubation specialist. And I don't know if that if that person if that person's skills had to be used Monday night uh, with Demar Hamlin. I I don't know, but but the level of intricate uh, skills available at that NFL stadium. I I saw a doctor this week say if someone is walking out of the stadium after the game and is say two blocks away walking to the parking lot and falls on the sidewalk. Uh, and his heart stops, uh, he might not make it because if someone doesn't get to him in time to perform CPR, he's not going to make it. And it just, it, it's, uh, it, it's almost, uh, it just is a reminder that inside an NFL stadium uh, is, is such a, uh, such a well-covered place 
But, you know, Mike, congratulations to you for bringing up Gail Benson. I think that's a great thing. Well, and here's hoping that what Gail Benson has done will inspire others, whether it's the 31 other owners, the other NBA owners, baseball, hockey, people of significant means, people of net worths that can't be calculated without drawing many zeros on the page will engage in that simple gesture. And let's make sure that the organizations in the communities responsible for setting the budgets and distributing the money that's available understand the importance now of having these AEDs deployed anywhere and everywhere. There's a chance somebody is going to take a blow to the chest and go into cardiac arrest. And this all flows directly from what happened to DeMar Hamlin. It makes us all aware of it. And the next step is to get us all to act on it. And Gail Benson blazing that trail, hopefully for others to do the same. And inevitably, it's never going to be like being in an NFL stadium. Because that's one of the concerns I have this week. You hear all of this great stuff about all of the medical expertise that's available in an NFL game. But what about the high school kid out in the middle of nowhere who's playing football and all that's right. there is an ambulance? I remember being at a game my son played and a kid suffered maybe a head or a neck injury and it just felt like it was taking forever for them to take him to a hospital to the point where it was excruciating. And then they're going to have to go a lot farther than roughly a mile away to get the kid to a place where he gets the proper care. So whatever can be done to improve that basic baseline at the various places where sports are played by the youth or anyone, that this, this is a moment that a lot of good can be done all because of what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Let's hear some more from Sean McDermott from yesterday and also Josh Allen on this critical question that I've wrestled with this week, Peter, I'm sure you have too. Given what was witnessed on Monday night, given that now all football players are aware of this potential for sudden cardiac arrest based upon a routine football play, are the Bills ready to play the Patriots on Sunday? Here's McDermott and Allen. Well, I'll start. Um, I do. Yeah. I, I do as well. I mean, the news we, we, we received today in particular was, was a huge lift. Um, and, again, I, I, I'm, I respect these guys are the ones on the field playing. I'm standing on the sideline, Dana, so it's, it's, it's different for me. There's an added dimension for them on the field. So um, I'll just yield to Josh, and you can explain. Yeah. Again, Mario talking to us as a team. And the things that he, he kind of told us and really didn't tell us, he demanded us. You know, and you, you can't not honor his, his request to go out there and charge forward, you know, to the best of our abilities. And obviously we'll be playing with, I guess, less heavy hearts now, um, knowing that, you know, today's news was a lot of, a lot of tears of joy, I'll tell you that. Um, but to know that. That's that's what he wants. That's what his dad wants. I think guys are uh, excited to get out there. We've talked about it. Obviously, like we wanna we wanna go out there and play for three, and um, it'll be a, a huge driving force and and the emotion and, and the love of the game that we play um, with and for each other. Um, hopefully, we can get him back soon. Peter. 
the situation has been brought up multiple times over the past week. The Hank Gathers death on the court during his conference tournament with Loyola Marymount back in 1989-1990, that time frame, and how that spurred Loyola Marymount to go forward and make it all the way to the final eight of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, losing to eventual champion UNLV, I believe it was 89. That team overachieved its talent to get that far. And I say that because the Bills don't need to overachieve. They're already fully talented to qualify for the Super Bowl and win it. So when you already take an elite unit of athletes and coaches who are already in position to compete for the highest prize in football, and you add this to it, I don't want to be anybody that plays the Bills the rest of the way. Yeah, totally agree. You know, we're going to get to this later in the show, but all the conversation about home field and, you know, neutral site and playoff seeds and all that, I've become more and more convinced in recent years particularly that home field's really not that important. I just don't think it is in the NFL. I just, whatever the, I don't even know what the stats say. I just think that almost always the better team wins. Almost always, not always. But I was thinking about that, and I'm going to say, what about the DeMar factor? You know, what about the Buffalo Bills saying, not today, not on our watch, we ain't losing. And and look, that stuff, you you know, you play Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, it doesn't always work for the best that way. But to me, this is no this is not a detriment you know the the heavy weight that they're going to all feel and the tears that I'm sure that some of these players will shed on Sunday before they play the New England Patriots the emotion it will take to go out and play this game but I just believe that that entire Buffalo Bills team will sleep incredibly soundly on Sunday night because they will know that they will have given every ounce they had to try to win that game on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And every game after that, and you make a great point about home field advantage that I hope I remember in the next segment when we really dig into what's happening there before we finish this segment, there's been some discussion this week and look, I I have chosen to be critical of no one who has said or written or tweeted anything. This is a collective trauma that we're all dealing with in our own way. The vast majority of people are not malevolent. The vast majority. The vast majority of people in this business are not malevolent. People just do the best they can under the circumstances they're given. There have been some unfortunate things that have been said. There have been some bizarre takes I've heard. There have been people who have gotten their... Nose has been out of shape over very trivial things unrelated to DeMar Hamlin this week. It's like, is there no awareness of the situation or the perspective that we're currently in? That said, there has been a take bubbling around out there that T. Higgins is in some way to blame because he dropped his helmet into the chest of DeMar Hamlin. I've been very confused by that. Everything about that play looked like a routine football play that we see all the time. Here is Josh McDermott, or not, 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 no, I'm sorry, I'm, Between talking about Sean McDermott and Josh Allen, I have merged them into one person. Here is Josh Allen at the conclusion of his press conference yesterday defending T. Higgins against this 
scattered idea that's out there that this was in some way his fault. I also I, I do want to say one more thing, um, and I, I do I haven't reached out to to T. I hope that you know he got some relief today, and I don't know I, I saw some stuff on Twitter, and um, people should not be attacking him whatsoever. And I'm glad that Demar's family came out and said that, and I hopefully he found some some relief today because again that's that's a football play, um, and I hope that he doesn't hold that upon himself because. And there's nothing else that he could have done in that situation. So I just wanted to say that too. Well said by Josh Allen. And I think it's something T. Higgins needed to hear, Peter, because how can you not feel responsible? You're naturally going to feel responsible even if you're not. And you need someone to say to you, it's not your fault. T, T, it's not your fault. He doesn't need to turn on TV and have someone say, I think it's his fault. So, again, people are just doing the best they can with the tools they have to navigate a very difficult week. Not, I'm not suggesting anyone was malevolent, but I just think it's harmful. At a time when the guy is surely thinking it's his fault to have anyone suggest that maybe it is. It clearly wasn't, isn't, and there's nothing he should feel guilty about. Mike, can I give you an, an overriding point about the last five days. And I don't say this, I, I say this maybe out of a little bit of experience, both with social media and just kind of in life. But, you know, the one thing that occurred to me this week watching every take, every comment, everything, is that we live in a society where everybody these days on Twitter, on television, everywhere, feels like I have to have an opinion. I must be heard. And, you know, Mike, sometimes silence is golden. And I believe, and I believe after this week, that if there are people who just need to look at their Twitter feed and to look and see the 78 times that they've tweeted this week, They just need to look at it and say, you know, maybe I'd be better off just not maybe sitting this out. If there's some information, you know, that's great. We all know that everybody is sad about DeMar Hamlin. And I don't mean that, that, you know, one or two, two, but but what what really hit me this week, and Paul Kuharski wrote about it, I thought, eloquently in Tennessee this week. uh, He said, you know, sometimes it's good just to sit this one out. And just to just to let the world go by and just to let life happen for a little while. You don't need to fill the space of just talking for or, or, or just commenting for no specific reason. And and look, and that has something to do with T. Higgins, but it has something to do with the way our society is and the way the modern media is. For some reason, we've got to the point, especially in the age of Twitter, where we feel that it's important that we are heard at all times. And it really isn't that important. Peter, that's a great point. And it's an example of how social media has rewired our brains. We hear it so much as it relates to the development of young boys and girls. But 
it's rewired the brains of adults as well. And it's part of our reality. And we do feel compelled, especially in this business, to have something to say about everything. Now, I never made the conscious decision to be quieter than usual. I just had I didn't know what to say. I was dumbfounded. I was scared. I was concerned. And I didn't think I could articulate anything. And I remember very vividly Tuesday morning as we struggled through one hour of a show. I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what could be said. We didn't know anything. We were just waiting and watching and worrying. And people wanted to hear from the folks in the media who are supposed to have something to say. But you're right. There are times where you don't have anything to say. And if you don't have anything to say, don't force it. And you don't have to have a comment on every single thing, especially when it's a grave situation like this. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, we're going to delve into what the NFL is in the process of deciding to do. And there are some very fascinating nooks and crannies about how this piece of sausage is being made or not made. No question about it. Talk about that. Before we go, though, here's the house Peter was talking about in Buffalo. And it's just an example of the time that people will spend and devote to a team that brings a community together and holds it together. And I would say that the Buffalo community and the rest of Western New York as together as it has ever been this morning. We'll be back with more PFT Library after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Last night, the NFL officially announced that the Bills-Bengals Week 17 game will not be resumed. I had gotten wind late Wednesday night. That's where it was heading. As Thursday unfolded, it got stronger and stronger. At one point, the Associated Press reported that this would be the case. I was expecting the formal announcement at some point yesterday afternoon. And as the day lingered without anything clear from the NFL, it was obvious that the NFL didn't want to just say, There won't be a Bills-Bengals game. We'll get back to you with more details later. The NFL wanted to be able to say, we've canceled Bills-Bengals, and here's how we are dealing with the issues that the Bills and Bengals playing 16 games will create when the time comes very, very soon to finalize the playoff seeds in the AFC. So last night, around 9 o'clock or so, the NFL issued its release with the proposals that have emerged following 
a meeting of the competition committee that occurred at six o'clock last night. The competition committee has recommended these proposals. It gets convoluted fairly quickly, but let's focus on the first aspect of this, Peter. We've got some things to say about this generally. I know I do. But for now, here's what's being proposed to the owners who are meeting virtually today at noon because they have to approve this. That's an important point to remember for later. As it relates to the AFC championship, there could be a neutral site for the AFC championship. And it basically depends upon what happens this weekend. But, and let's go through it. Scenario one, the Bills and the Chiefs both win or both tie. A Bills-Chiefs championship game would be at a neutral site. Number two, Bills and Chiefs both lose and Baltimore wins or ties. A Bills-Chiefs championship game would be at a neutral site. Scenario three, Bills and Chiefs both lose and Cincinnati wins. A Buffalo or Cincinnati versus Kansas City championship game would be at a neutral site. What they're trying to do here is eliminate the perceived unfair advantage to the Chiefs that flows from no winner emerging on Monday night between the Bills and the Bengals. Because if the Bills would have won, all they have to do is beat the Patriots on Sunday, and they're the number one seed in the AFC. And if the Bengals had won, they have the number one seed potentially within their grasp. So this is the way to eliminate the unfair advantage. Not eliminate, but to minimize. Because the Chiefs, if they end up the number one seed, still get the bye. But they don't get an Arrowhead Stadium game in the AFC Championship. So this is that thing that has been cobbled together, Peter, by the competition committee pending approval of 24 owners. That is what's going to be teed up coming up here in about four hours and change. Okay, so, you know, there are 900 things to say about this, but I'm going to say two, and then I will yield the floor to Mr. Speaker from West Virginia. Um, I There's would, no speaker. I'd make the first point the first point I would make is that um, I said this at the time uh, when this whole discussion started, but whatever the outcome in this and whatever is decided, I'm not going to say it's a dumb idea. You know why? Because it's impossible. You cannot make a totally correct, right, justifiable decision. You cannot. Because it's going to be unfair to some parties and more fair to other parties, period. Is it fair, for instance, uh, you, you know, to the, to the Cincinnati Bengals who now face the prospect that if somehow, no one thinks they will really, but if somehow they lose to Baltimore on Sunday, they're the, they're the hottest team in the AFC. If they lose to Baltimore on Sunday and they lose a coin flip for the playoff game, the Cincinnati Bengals very likely will not play a home game in these playoffs. And how right is that for a team that was up 7-3 to three and driving to make it 14-3, to three, you know, 10 minutes into a game Monday night, and they're on fire right now. And, and again, and again, but all of that flies out the window. Okay, because there is no right decision. Second thing I would say, and just very quickly, um, 
I think this is one of those extraordinary times in NFL history where the the rules makers, Rich McKay and the competition committee and and you know the Department of Football Operations. I thought of this last night, Mike, when you texted me with what you're about to talk about. And I just said to myself, you know, there needs to be a line in this in the rules. And it needs to be one of those lines that somehow, some way, they okay it with the Players Association. But in the event of absolutely extreme circumstances that no one can foresee, the commissioner has the power to wave his magic wand and say, this is what we're going to do. Because in a democracy, Mike, everyone is always going to be arguing about what is the best thing to do. And I hope for the sake of everyone involved in this story that whether teams like this or teams don't, I can't imagine the Bengals are going to be very happy with the outcome here. But whoever likes it, whoever's ox gets gored, says it's an extraordinary circumstance. It's an extraordinary year. Let's just swallow it and move on with our lives. I agree with you completely. And the concern I have, before I get to that, I I want to make sure everyone understands the Bengals aspect of it. You alluded to it. And this is the one that just seems strange to me. I understood all along this idea that there's a certain element of inherent unfairness to the Chiefs simply showing up and beating the Raiders tomorrow and getting the one seed simply because Bills, Bengals didn't have a result And the Chiefs catch the Bills based on winning percentage, even though the Chiefs lost both to the Bills and to the Bengals. That's where this is all coming from, obviously. But for the Bengals, the idea that if they lose to the Ravens on Sunday, completing a head-to-head sweep by Baltimore over Cincinnati because there was a Sunday night game earlier this year when Baltimore beat the Bengals at home, the Bengals will win the division based on winning percentage. They'll be the higher seed on the playoff tree. They'll be three. And if the Ravens are six, and the configuration of the playoffs results in the Ravens and the Bengals crossing paths, they'll flip a coin to determine who's the home game. That is one of the most bizarre Frankenstein monsters I've ever seen the NFL put together or attempt to put together. What is that? You either... Resolve it based on winning percentage or you don't. Not with this codicil, this caveat, that if these two teams from the same division cross paths because the Ravens beat the Bengals twice, we're going to change our approach completely and make it a coin flip as to who hosts the game. And the Bengals would still be the three seed. Peter, that's what's so odd about this. The Bengals could be the road team in the wild card round and then the home team in the divisional round because they'd still be the three seed moving forward. <laughs> Isn't that weird? So it's now really one of the weird. questions I have. I, I would agree with you, what, Mike. What? I would agree with you. Of all the things that were that of all the points that were made last night, this one feels the oddest. And I understand that they want to give Baltimore credit if they beat the Bengals twice, but that is the only thing last night that I thought. And again, I am not going to make a big deal of it because, you know, no one is trying to make a dumb decision. But I just thought that was a bridge too far. 
Well, and Peter, it's a result of what happens when publicly. None of these teams will be saying anything that would suggest disagreement or consternation or frustration with the, the circumstances that they have to deal with privately, privately. Oh, my God. Privately, <laughs> it is, right? And it tells me. It's on. Steve Bishotti, it's on, baby. Yeah, St- <laughs> Steve Bashotti, the owner of the Ravens, did a better job lobbying the competition committee than Mike Brown, the owner of the Bengals, did. Period. Because Bashotti came out of it with this weird thing that gives the Ravens a potential home game by virtue of the fact that, hey, we swept the Bengals, even though they have a better winning percentage than we do, we swept the Bengals, so we get a coin flip. And, it was, you know, at one point, Peter, there was talk about resolving Bill's Bengals with a coin flip. Resolve that game with a coin flip. I thought they should have played Madden instead. But resolve it with a coin flip and count the result and then figure out the playoff tree that way. There, there was talk of that. And this is my broader concern. All week long. Now, I don't want to say I was led to believe this. There was nothing ever said by anyone from the NFL, and there have been multiple conference calls this week regarding DeMar Hamlin, regarding his status, regarding what comes next. No one has ever said this to me. We have a rule on the books for handling canceled games. We have a rule. We're considering changing that rule. We're identifying various options for possibly changing that rule. It's never been couched that way. The way that I've viewed this, because no one's ever told me differently till last night. We don't know what to do. We've never dealt with this before. There's no rule for it. We have to come up with something. And that is fundamentally different. And look, I understand there's no good solution. And as you said last segment, it may not matter. Home field advantage doesn't matter like it used to. They're getting obsessed with home field advantage. Road teams win all the time. The Bengals went on the road last year to Tennessee, the one seed, and they won. They went to Kansas City, and they won. Road teams are winning in the playoffs. The 49ers beat the the number one seed last year in, in the NFC, in the Green Bay Packers. So it may just be that folks are obsessed about things that are ultimately irrelevant. But... What the NFL is considering here, and I want to make sure the owners understand this, because I have a feeling someone is trying to slip this through without explaining to anyone what's really happening. And Katie Blackburn, the executive VP of the Cincinnati Bengals and the daughter of Mike Brown, has been trying to sound this alarm internally. What they are proposing is a change to the rules that are on the books during a season. And Peter... I've been doing this over 20 years. You've been doing this longer than me. They do not change the rules during a season. During the season, we keep a list of all the rules that seem screwy, of all the rules that seem unfair, of all the rules that seem inappropriate, and that's part of the annual process of meeting, talking, competition committee, making proposals, owners get together, and they decide which rules they're going to change or not change. It never happens during a season. And I want them to understand they're standing on the banks of the Rubicon here with this because there is a rule in the policy manual applicable to club operation 2022, plain as day. If a game is canceled, you go by winning percentages. There's no neutral site exception or coin flip. You go by winning percentage to determine the playoff seating, period. And I I know people would say, well, this is an extreme situation. Well, 
anytime a game's canceled, NFL game's canceled, whatever causes the cancellation of the game is going to be an extreme situation, whether it's illness, whether it's injury, whether it's weather, whether it's anything. It's going to be an unusual extreme situation. You could make that argument for any cancellation. Well, this is an extreme situation. Yes, because the game was canceled. Let's get past that. There's a rule on the books. So why is the rule on the books not good enough? Number one. And number two, why are you changing the rule that's on the books during the season? And that sets a precedent. I just want them to understand what they're doing here, Peter. We hear all the time we need to have integrity of the game at the forefront of everyone's mind. There needs to be public confidence in professional football. Changing the rules on the fly, making it up as you go. I don't know what that does for public confidence if people understand that's what's happening. And I just want to make sure everybody understands that's what they're proposing. And I want to make sure the 32 owners who are going to vote on this today realize the significance of what they're doing. And, you know, you're right, Mike. I, that's why, in my opinion, there ought to be a, a rule in the books that says we've got to have trust in a person to be able to wave a magic wand in events when events are so incredibly um, different than what anybody could have ever foreseen. Now, I'm not saying that it's unforeseeable uh, what happened on Monday night, but in this particular case, I first of all, I know that there will be 9,000 fans who are going to scream about something because their team has gotten uh, the, the, the bad end of the stick, let's say. But I do think that you have to have a common sense. You've got you've to have trust in the person who leads your organization. And this is one of those times where, in my opinion, nobody could have nobody could have thought that this was going to be a factor in arguably the biggest game of the year so i i guess i look at this and i say yes you're right in saying that essentially they are rewriting the rules they're making up the rules as they go along and they are okay but i think what should be done at the end of this year is I think that Demoris Smith, Roger Goodell, and and the and the policymakers on each side should have a meeting and should say, we need to be able to fix things when they get out of whack uh, in an absolutely extraordinary time, and this is one of them. And I agree with you 100%, Peter. And when I sent you last night the page from the 2022 policy manual for member clubs, you noticed right. the section below the procedure for canceled games. Section G has the competitive policy for canceled games. And in English, what it says is we're going to do the playoff seating based on winning percentage. That's what that means. Just below that, section H says that the commissioner has the sole authority to investigate and take appropriate disciplinary or corrective measures if any club action, non-participant interference, or emergency occurs in an NFL game which he deems so unfair or outside the accepted tactics encountered in professional football that such action has a major effect on the result of the game. So, just below the section where it says if we have to have a canceled game, we're going by winning percentage. Cancellation for any reason. Canceled game goes by winning percentage. Below that... 
They give the commissioner the power you're talking about. So what you're saying is they need to go back to that rule and give the commissioner the same power in the event of a canceled game. And I agree. But you don't do it during a season. That's the point. You've identified a great solution. We do this all the time. We see crazy rules happen. We see outcomes that aren't fair based upon the application of a current rule that's on the books. And it usually comes from the rule book. They don't change it during the season. They note it. And they add it to the list of the things they're going to discuss. How many times have we heard Dean Blandino say, I'm sure that will be discussed in the offseason? Yes, it's never discussed during the season because there's no change to be made during the season. That's my point. I I don't look, I I don't want to turn this into a crusade or a soapbox. This is very fundamental. and This is very basic. And I think that's why no one from the league has told us that's what they're doing. No one from the competition committee other than Katie Blackburn has said, hey, guys, this is what you're doing here. You're changing a rule. During We have a rule. May not like it. May not seem fair. But there's a rule. You're talking about changing a rule during a season. And once you do that, Peter, you invite chaos. Because anytime in the future, there's a rule that somebody doesn't like that gets applied during the season. They want it to go away. What are they going to say? Well, we did it in 2022. We can do it again. Yeah, and that's what is the quandary about this particular case. Quandary becomes... Listen, what happened in this particular case is not fair. So how do we fix it? And that's where, in my opinion, and again, look, no one's going to want to give anybody potentate-like power in this particular situation. But in my opinion, potentate power is really what is required. But you're right. Changing the rules in midstream, you know, does open up uh, the proverbial Pandora's box. And it's something that can be used in the future in other situations. I just think in this one, I do understand the, um, the, 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 the sort of exception that's being made. And I don't get particularly outraged by it just because I'm not going right. to get outraged by whatever happens in this thing. I agree with you completely, but it's a far different perspective when you say we already have a rule on the books. People may because, like you said, nobody should be upset by the outcome. Okay, fine. There's already a rule on the books for how you handle canceled games. So nobody should be upset. They've agreed to this. They've thought about this. They've envisioned this. They've envisioned the possibility of a canceled game and they have a rule on the books. Peter, I first became aware of this concept of winning percentage by your reporting from two years ago about the pandemic. Nobody was saying we're going to take a careful examination of all relevant facts and circumstances if games are canceled because of the pandemic. I mean, let's just apply this to 2020. If there had been a key late season Monday night game, highly relevant to the AFC playoff tree, and they wouldn't have been able to play it because too many of the offensive linemen of the Buffalo Bills have COVID. They would have canceled the game and they would have gone on winning percentage. There would have been this whole, well, is it fair to the Bills? Is it fair to the Chiefs? Is somebody getting an unfair advantage? They would have done that. They were going to go by winning percentages. That's what what bothers me here is you said, maybe there should or shouldn't be potentate powers here. What I think they're trying to do is de facto exercise potentate powers. The league office ramming it through the competition committee, the competition committee ramming it through ownership without the owners understanding what they're doing. That's my point. I just want to make sure the owners understand what they're doing here. Because I don't think anybody's explained it to them this way. Hey, guys and gals, you're changing the rules on the fly. Something that you have never, ever 
done. Just want to make sure you're aware of that before you do it. That, that's, the, that's the whole point because there's already a rule. It's different if there's no rule. Then we got to come up with something. There's no good solution. We'll pick the best of an array of bad solutions. Well, wait, we don't need to do that. There's a rule on the books. That's, that's my only point. And I want them to understand the impact of doing this. And that's why in times like this where there are weird facts and there are different emotions that make us feel like we should just do something, that this doesn't seem right, that there needs to be a solution that fits the facts. No, 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 no. We have a rule. We've already thought of it. We've already considered what happens when there's a canceled game. People may not like the outcome. Well, they, people don't like the outcome of the application of most rules. Let me ask Every you this rule question. Works to someone's advantage or disadvantage when applied. Let me ask you th- let me let me ask you this question. If this applied in this particular case and the and Kansas City was 14 and 3 and uh, Kansas City wins this weekend is 14 and 3. Buffalo wins this weekend and is 13 and 3. I, I'm not involving Cincinnati because the Bengals have a fourth loss. But if Kansas City is 14 and three and Buffalo is 13 and three, but Buffalo uh, beat Kansas City in Kansas City earlier in the year, and Buffalo, by virtue of an extraordinary circumstance, was not able to play its 17th game. Here's my question. Would you have said the rules should apply, they should go by winning percentage, and we should not consider doing anything else? Well, let's go back to two years ago. Exact same facts. The only difference is the Bills couldn't play that 17th game because all their offensive linemen have COVID. They've already decided this is what they're going to do. That's the point. They've already decided this is what they're going to do. And head-to-head result is a tiebreaker. It's a tiebreaker. It's not something to apply in any situation other than if there's a tie. And if you're going to go by winning percentage, there isn't a tie. That's why the Bengals-Ravens thing is so freaking weird to me. Oh, well, the Ravens beat them twice. It doesn't matter. There's not a tie. That's a tiebreaker. The tiebreakers only apply in the event of, wait for it, a tie. That's where this just whole this whole thing... I, I, the horse got out of the barn prematurely on this, Peter. Nobody bothered. And this is, I, I, look, I'm not blaming anybody. Because, again, like I said earlier, as it relates to all the various hot takes we've heard this week, these are people of goodwill who have the best intentions, and they're trying to fix an unprecedented and very bad situation. I get it. I support it. But that's where, yeah, I was texting with somebody last night, an executive with one of the teams involved in this rigmarole. I got the SAT word today, Peter. Rigmarole. Um, like Jerry it. Seinfeld has a bit at the beginning of one of the various episodes of Seinfeld where he essentially says that lawyers are the people in society who read the rules on the inside of the cover of the board game. And, that, that's, that's always, and, and most of you out there are like, what the hell's a board game? When Peter and I were kids, when we weren't <laughs> watching one of three TV channels, we were playing board games. And when you got a new board game, and Peter, I'm sure you were the same way I was. You flip it open, the rules are printed on there, and you read them. And you refer to them while you're playing the game. What are the rules? And, and so that, the whole point is, did anybody ever sit down and bother to look at the rule? And did they, did they do it? And if they didn't, that's fine. It's a crazy week. 
Or did they do it and they say, we don't care about the rule. We're going to come up with our own rule. There's a fascinating behind the scenes as to how this all transpired. My point is this. Before the owners vote, and that's the, the, the mere fact that they have to vote, Peter, tells you what's going on here. It's going to take 24 right. votes, not a simple majority, 24 votes, a super majority, because they are changing an established rule on the fly. And this whole point is, I just want them to understand it. And the other thing too, Peter, and I've asked the league this question, haven't gotten an answer yet. Is this all or nothing with these two proposals, the AFC championship That's the big question. And What's the alternative? Or is it one What's at the a time? Alternative? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I know, I don't well, think the alternative there's any is the way that's on the that this won't pass. Yeah. yeah. I don't think well, there's any way this isn't going to pass. I would, be, I would be shocked if it didn't pass. I, they, I, and, I, again, and again, there may be some teams that say we don't like this. There might even be some teams that vote against it. I don't know. But I think if it gets out who voted against it, it, it wouldn't be great for that team, I think. Well, and see, that, that leads to PR issues, and that leads to other concerns. I, I know that there are some folks who would say, basically, screw Mike Brown. We can stick it to Mike Brown. Mike Brown always votes against yeah. everything. He's a pain in our ass. Let's stick it to him. Whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't about sticking it to anybody. This is about whether or not you're going to respect the rules that are on the books or whether you're going to get into the business of changing the rules during a season. And the fact, Peter that no one from the league has couched it that way tells me they know deep down what they're doing here. They know they're potentially setting a bad precedent that could create unintended consequences. They're always afraid of unintended consequences. This could create unintended consequences. So I suspect that at a minimum, Mike Brown and or Katie Blackburn will be making the point I'm making. And the question is, will eight others agree with them? That we, What's wrong with the rule that we have and are we prepared to do something we have never done? Despite how, you know, think of all the times over the years, Peter, where we have learned through the application of the limitations on the replay rules that there are some screwy ass scenarios that are incredibly unfair. They never change them during the season. Let me give you an example. I think we have the video. This is from 2008, week two, I believe it was. Broncos Chargers, the Jay Cutler play. When Ed Hockley was the referee, Jay Cutler goes to throw the ball and the ball goes backward, right? And the Chargers clearly recover the fumble, okay? Well, based upon the ruling on the field at the time, that wasn't reviewable. The Chargers couldn't take possession. The play was over because it was ruled an incomplete pass. The rule changed, not during the season. Horribly unfair. This is wrong. We can't have this. Oh, my God. It could happen in the Super Bowl. So what? We're not changing the rule during the season. We change it after the season. And that's where the rule came from that says, in a moment like that, if replay review shows a clear recovery, the defense gets the ball. They can't advance it, but they get the ball. And that takes us forward to the AFC Championship of 2017. Miles Jack ripping the ball out. I think it was James White that had possession. For the Patriots. The ball comes out. The Jaguars are up 10 in the fourth quarter. Here it is. The ball's thrown across. It comes out. Miles Jack ends up with the football. And off he goes for a touchdown. Ruling was down by contact. Oh, he didn't go off. I thought he did run it in for a touchdown. But regardless, the, the, the ruling is all the Jaguars could have is the ball right there. 
period. It's unfair. That rule's still unfair. The idea that it may be a fumble after the fact and the defensive team takes it in for a touchdown, sorry, you can't advance it. It's an unfair rule. If they want to change it, they change it. They change it in the offseason. That's the whole point. The Cutler rule was changed in the well, offseason. Wait, on that, that particular wasn't. on that particular play, on that particular play, why wouldn't it be that Jacksonville can have the ball, but they take the ball at that exact point? Because Miles Jack fell and was contacted by James White. The, the ruling was, no, he, he didn't have possession until, he, he wasn't down by contact before he had possession. I thought Jack ran it into the end zone, too. They blew the play dead. But that's the rule. The play's dead there. You can't advance it. My point is this. It started with the 2008 thing, and they didn't change it during the season. That, that Cutler thing was a huge, huge deal, if you remember. This rule's got to go. Was, I can't yep. believe there's this donut hole in Reeve. This is, but they didn't change it during the season. They waited until after the season, even though it could have happened again and again and again and again, up to and including the Super Bowl, they didn't change it. So my point is this. They've never done this before. In about four hours and 45 or three hours and 45 minutes, they're going to consider doing it. And they just need to understand it. And like you said, Peter, it's probably going to pass. I just want to make sure everybody understands the implication of changing the rules on the fly. Okay, games are coming this weekend. We're going to go through the AFC matchups that have playoff implications when PFT Live continues right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.